Every four years, there's a worldwide event called the Summer Olympic Games. And I think we delayed it a year because of the pandemic. But usually it's every four years. And the Summer Olympics just started this week in Japan. The games are about a lot of things. It's fame, glory, medals, and money. But mainly, the Olympic Games are about competition. Now, how many of you have seen at least one part of the Olympics? Okay, I can ask for, uh, how many of you like, what's your favorite uh, Olympic event? Is it track and field? Anybody? Okay, swimming? Basketball? Do you guys watch these things? Just wanted to know. Uh, table, table tennis? Okay, well, I just, okay. We probably have, all of us have our, our favorites. The Olympics are really high drama with great stories and, and great wins and defeats. In fact, it's just high drama just to get to the Olympics. And we, we sometimes watch the preliminaries to say, I wonder who's going to make it to the Olympics. In the past Olympic competition, what I'm sure will play out this time, we were able to watch the finish lines, we watched the final scores, the point totals, and the looks on the competitors' faces as they learn the results. And the reactions are amazing. After years of sacrifice and hard work and discipline, we see the incredible joy on their faces as they learn that they won. They won the gold. And there's, there's joy. Later, as we watch the winners on the award stand and the star-spangled banners played or whatever national anthem of their nation and the flag is raised, there's a, I don't know if you've noticed, there's a different set of emotions that you see in the faces of, of each person. There's joy, yes, there's ecstasy, but it's, it's a more reflective type of joy. A looking back as they think through the journey, all that they went through to get to the top of that podium. Standing now with a gold medal around their neck, the best in the world. I know that you've seen that. Well, today we're going to look at a competition of sorts. It's a race. But the stakes in this race are far higher than fame or glory or endorsement contracts or money. It's even more important than a gold medal. This is a race for the eternal gold. It's talking about our eternal destiny, our eternal destiny. And I'd like you to turn with me to Hebrews, Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Hebrews 12, it's on page 975 in the Bible in the rack in front of you if you want to follow along. It'll also be on the PowerPoint as well. Hebrews 12, we're going to read the first two verses. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I want each of you to imagine for a minute that every person in this room is dressed in running shorts, okay? I know it's not a very pretty picture, but just, just imagine for a minute. And then we're all standing together at a starting line. We're getting ready to run. And the gun goes off, and, and we start running. 
A recent newspaper article says the reasons humans survived and thrived over all the animals is because we had the unique ability to run and usually run long distances. Okay? So we're all here at the start line, the gun goes, and off we take off in this race, feeling great for the first 100 yards or 100 feet, whatever that might be. You feel strong, your, your legs are working well, life is good, we're moving together, moving as fast as we can, everybody's together. Then somewhere along the line, you get tired. And you start slowing down, your legs feel heavy, your side aches, and some drop out altogether. And you, you say, you know, I had a great start. I had a great start, but it's not fun anymore, so I'm just going to quit the race. I'm just going to quit. When we all started out in our race, our faith journey, our faith journey, most of us, many of us, got off to a pretty fast start. But someone has, as someone who's walked with God for a long period of time, I can tell you the Christian life is not about the 100-meter dash. It's a long race. <laughs> It's a marathon, like an Ironman race, whatever it is. And so all of us have been on this journey at different times and different lengths of time. And I want to take a few minutes this morning to look at what it takes to sustain us over the long haul. I don't care who you are. In your journey, your walk with God, you get tired. You want to give it up. It happens to every single one of us. And I want us to look at what the writer of Hebrews says to us about sustaining this, this race. He's writing to a group of Christians, people who had gotten off to a good start, but times had gotten tough in their Christian walk. And these words were given to them and given to us to help us understand how to sustain a, a healthy longevity in our faith journey, our walk with Jesus over the long haul. He gives us five encouraging guidelines, five encouragements or encouraging guidelines. The first one is, I will find strength from those who have gone before. I will find strength from those who have gone before. The New Living Translation says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to life, the life of faith. Olympic athletes are keenly aware of the prestigious company that they are in. They're very aware of past greats. They get there and they, they remember the Jesse Owens or the Jim Thorpe. The Mark Spitz, or Nadia Comaneci, or Mary Lou Renton, Usain Bolt, the sprinter, Greg Luganis, Michael Phelps, a swimmer, or Simone Biles in, in gymnastics. When the Olympians arrive at Olympic Games, they realize who preceded them, what made them great. They know what they accomplished, and they many times know what obstacles they overcame to, to get to the Olympics and to actually win. Now, Hebrews 12 follows Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, it says, it says, therefore. Whenever there's a therefore, you say, what's the therefore, therefore? It usually pre 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 talks about what precedes. And Hebrews 11, there's a list of the all-star team of Christian. It's like a who's who of the greats. Some are familiar to us and some are not. But they have one thing in common. All these greats in Hebrews 11, they have one thing in common. They ran a race of faith with endurance. They never gave up and they all finished well. They finished well. When it talks about being surrounded by witnesses, the word witness means testifiers. When, if you witness in the court of law, 
you testify what you've seen and heard and experienced. And we have a whole bunch of incredible examples. We're surrounded, he says, by a crowd of them. It's like, it's like a stadium. I watched the, we watched part of the opening ceremonies. Now, the stadium didn't have real people in it. It was kind of odd this time. It had pretend people in the stands. But when you walk into a stadium, typically you're surrounded by tons of people. And when it says we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, it's like we're surrounded by a stadium of witnesses, people who have been where we are, telling us from their own experience that in God's strength, you can run the race and you can finish well. These are people that can say, I've been there. I've been there. These are not armchair quarterbacks who sit around on Monday mornings and second guess what Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson did the day before. Okay? These are people that have been there and done that. They've actually played in the game. They've been where we are. So like the Olympic athletes, we're in tremendous company. And he says we're surrounded with this, this stadium or this cloud of witnesses. These are people who went through a lot tougher times than we can imagine and made it through, and they finished well. And it's good to know there's somebody that went before us that made it through. Isn't that good to know? I have to know that. Somebody made it through. So find strength from those who've gone before. Secondly, the second encouragement, he says, I will put off that which holds me back. He says, put off that which holds you back. Verse Two says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. Excess weight is not good in any athletic competition, unless you're a, a, a football lineman or a sumo wrestler. Those are the exceptions. But typically, if you're in athletic competition, you don't want extra weight. And he says, get rid of it. There's a, there's a writer who tells a story of a, a man in London who participated in, in the London Marathon. And history, he writes, history records that it was the slowest marathon ever in history. His name was Lloyd Scott, and he finished the marathon in five days, eight hours, 29 minutes, and 46 seconds. But unlike other runners who were wearing running shoes and nylon shorts and tank tops, he was wearing a diver's suit with a full metal helmet, and he did it as a fundraiser. Okay? And that's a great picture of in our Christian life of sometimes we try to run this, this race weighted down with a diver's suit. Weighted down. And as we see in, in the original historical narratives of the original Olympics, many ran, runners ran even nude, stripped of any clothing. And many times we are just weighted down. Now this verse talks about two things specifically that hold us back and related to that, two actions we need to take. So said, get rid of all the unnecessary. First of all, let go of the unnecessary, letter A. Or let go of the garbage. How many of you collect garbage? Now I'll ask your spouse. How many of you have a husband, wife, or son, or daughter that collect garbage? That's why we have garbage sales. They call them garage sales, but whatever you want to call it. Some people like to collect stuff, collect stuff. The unnecessary. That's why we sell it. We have, it's unnecessary. Now, when we're talking about the unnecessary, these are not things that are necessarily wrong or sinful. In fact, when he's talking about laying aside this, it may not be moral compromise. Maybe our life is so full we never have the energy left to pursue our relationship with God. 
Sometimes the good gets in the way of the best. Not my agenda, God's agenda. Not my priorities, but God's priorities. Some try valiantly to run the race with a diver's suit on and wonder why they don't get anywhere. And it might be a possession, a priority, it might be an activity, could be a past hurt, an unforgiveness, it could be any number of things. And he says, you want to run this race, let go of the unnecessary. Secondly, he says, let go of the ungodly. Let go of the ungodly. These are described as sins that entangle us. Now, there are certain sins that are common to all of us. And we all sin, okay? All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. We can't point out and say, well, I don't have any of those kinds of things. But there are also certain sins that are unique to each of us in our lives. And they hold us back. So to say, examine, examine my heart, tell me, God, what is it that is holding me back? It might be anger or resentment. It could be unforgiveness. Feeling unappreciated or unloved. It could be gossip or materialism. It could be lust or pornography. It could be envy. No matter what we have, someone else has more or better. We just want to have what the other person has. He says, let go of these sins that entangle you. Strip it off. And it's an action we take by God's power. It's a decision we make, an action we take. Anything that keeps us from running well and finishing well, he said, strip it off. Get rid of it. Everyone wants to win and everyone wants to be a winner. But how many of us will take a ruthlessly honest look at our lives to see what is holding us back? A goal, a passion, a possession, a person, a priority. There's no room for passivity here, only activity. Strip it off. Get rid of it. After that, he says, I will run my race to the finish line. Run your race to the finish line. Says, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Ah, the finish line. The finish line. When our daughters were in, in, in high school, they competed in track as well as soccer and basketball. And during track season, I volunteered as a timer at track meets. And there's one race I will never. I, I saw so many races and pole vault things and hurdle races and triple jumps. And I mean, watched it all. I loved it all. But there's one race. I, timing as a timer. I'll never forget. It was the men's 800-meter run. It's twice around the track. And there were two heats, or two groups, with the top eight finishers to go on to districts and potentially on to state. One of our runners, thinking that just the top four finishers from the first heat would go on, he was in fifth position. And so as those first four crossed the line, he was fifth, and he slowed down and just kind of gave up. Had he finished strong, his time would have placed him in the top eight. But he missed it by a half a second. A half a second. He slowed down. He didn't, he didn't finish well. Run through the finish line. Finish well. Now, there are two qualifiers here running the race through the finish line. He says, run the race. First of all, it's the letter A, the course marked for you. Every race has a course. Those of you that have run track or run track, you know, it's not easy to get lost. You're running around an oval track. You know, I just got to follow that line. 
That's all you have to do. Now, if you've run cross country, it's a different thing. How many of you have ever run a cross country race and got lost? Okay, <laughs> it's a common thing. It's, if there's a course marked and you gotta find the course. And if you don't follow the course, you'll lose the race. Every course is different. And in our Christian race, in our Christian walk in life, we are to run the course that God has for you, for you. Our courses are all different, all different. Some are relatively straight, some have lots of turns. Some seem all uphill, <laughs> some you say, that's me. Some are like it's a flat hiking path. All of the races are long, some longer. And each of us can finish the course marked for us. The Bible doesn't say, run the course set out for Billy Graham. Or run the course set out for John Wesley or the race for Martin Luther. Doesn't say that. The course set out for you. For you. You're not called to run the, the course set for your wife or your husband or your father or your mother, cousin, aunt, or grandparent. Run the race set for you. That helps keep us from, first of all, discouragement. Because we look at, look at that and say, I don't think I can run that. Well, don't run somebody else, run your race. It also keeps us from spiritual pride in comparing and saying, look at me, I'm running so much better than this person over there. No, it's running the course set for you, for you. Keeps us from judging other people. I can't believe he's running so slow. Run the race to the finish line and run the course set for you. Every one of us has a unique relationship with God and a unique course set out for us. Run your race. The other qualifier is with perseverance, which is all the way to the finish line, all the way to the finish line. All throughout history, greatness has been defined by the the ability to persevere and overcome obstacles. A writer named Lance Witt gives some examples of people that overcame obstacles. Did you know there was a memo that came from MGM Studios shortly after Fred Astaire took his first screen test? And it said, I quote, can't act, slightly bald, can dance a little. Fred Astaire. Someone once said, you like this one, someone once said of Vince Lombardi, he possesses minimal football knowledge. Seriously? He must have learned a lot. Yeah. The parents of Enrico Caruso believed his teacher who said, he has no voice at all, he just cannot sing. Walt Disney was once fired by a newspaper for lack of ideas. Thomas Edison's teachers gave up on him, and here was their evaluation, quote, he is too stupid to accomplish anything. <laughs> okay. Henry Ford, before he succeeded, failed and went broke five times. Five times. Beethoven handled a violin awkwardly and his teacher called him hopeless as a composer. Really. Albert Einstein performed so badly in high school courses, except mathematics, that his teachers encouraged his parents to pull him out of school. Okay. In the race of life, God is much more interested in how we finish than how we begin. Run with perseverance to 
the finish line, to the finish line. Number four, I will keep my eyes on the goal. I'll keep my eyes on the goal. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Philippians 3.8 says, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Christ. Every athlete has to have a goal. Every athlete has to have a goal. For the runner, it's the finish line, that tape. For the gymnast, it's perfection. The football player, the goal line. You, you, you can look at all of the, the goals that athletes have. And our goal is Jesus Christ. Our goal is Jesus Christ. It says, keep our eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, if you're playing basketball and you're a point guard and you look at the ball while you're dribbling or you look at the opponent in front of you, you'll never see the cutter, you'll never see the play developing, you'll never see the open pass or the offensive setup. You won't see any of that because your eyes are down looking at the ball. Our eyes are to be up looking forward to the goal and our eyes are looking to Jesus, to Jesus. We can be so distracted by everything else. He says, our goal, look to Jesus. He says, Jesus is the pioneer of our faith, the one who started everything. Jesus was present at creation. Jesus was present when Adam and Eve sinned. Jesus was present at the first act of grace and forgiveness when he slaughtered, God slaughtered and shed blood of animals to pay for the sins of people. Jesus went before Israel out of Egypt all throughout history. Jesus became a human being, lived and died and was resurrected. Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. He's the one that made our faith possible, our personal faith, restoring our relationship with God, a personal relationship with God. Jesus was and is God in such a way that he was never known before. He gave us direct access to the Father. He says, keep your eyes on Jesus. He's a pioneer. He's the one that brought us this faith. Jesus was also the perfecter of our faith. The perfecter of our faith. What does that mean? Hebrews 2.10 says, In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. How does God perfect our faith? Suffering. Adversity. How does an athlete get better? No gain without pain. Isn't that what it is? Stretching themselves, pushing the limits. There's some adversity involved. Jesus, through suffering, people through suffering, adversity, and opposition. How do you know your faith works? How do you know your faith works? How good is our faith if it's never been tried? It's never been exercised, never been tested. Did you know that the wings on a Boeing airplane are very strong? How do they know that? They test them. You know how they test them? We knew a guy that was a structural, he was an engineer. He would test the Boeing airplane wings. And what they do is they put weight on it, keep adding weight, weight, weight until it breaks. 
then they know how much weight that takes. How strong are they? They know. How strong is your faith? God's not going to push you until you break, but he will test your faith. He will make us exercise our faith. Does it work? That's part of the perfecting process. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, on the goal, Jesus. And number five, I will keep the prize always in view for the joy set before him. There's joy at the end. Letter A, there's joy at the end. Some of you probably know the feeling of beating your opponent by 30 points or 10 runs or beating him 9-0 in soccer or whatever it is. That's, that's no big reward. It was an easy victory, no big deal. I coached my younger daughter's soccer team. And the toughest game I ever coached was one that we weren't supposed to win. We weren't supposed to even be in the game at all. It wasn't supposed to be close. And we were down 1-0 most of the game. And those girls fought long and hard and went after it. 1-0. Then in the final 60 seconds of the game, literally, as the clock was running out, we scored. The game ended in a one-to-one tie. That tie was tough. Now, to us, that tie was a win. That tie was a win. The girls on the opposing team were crying because they tied. We were celebrating and shouting for joy because we tied a very, very tough game. And the joy is so much sweeter when it's been tough. It was so incredible when we tied that game. Jesus sees that joy. And what is the prize? The prize is win, winning the eternal gold. It says, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In the Olympics, there are three medal winners for each event. Three medal winners. There's the gold, silver, and the bronze. But the only one we remember is the gold medal winner. Who won the silver medal against Michael Phelps in the 100-meter freestyle? Remember? Who won the silver against Greg Luganis in the diving competition? Who won the silver medal against Usain Bolt in the 100 or 200 meter? Who won the silver medal recently against Simone Biles? Nobody knows. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Do you not know that in a race... All the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way to get the prize. We are all in an amazing race. Run to win. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us a picture of being surrounded by witnesses, a cloud of witnesses, people that have been where we've been. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to work in each one of our lives as we move forward. That we would run to win. And we do well. In Jesus' name.